0: So you guys having fun today? It's a good summit? Awesome. Um, I love these chairs. Is this cool? I want to decorate my house with these. My wife would love it. Um, So I want to welcome everybody here to the summit. Um, As one of the people that was on the summit selection committee, I I reviewed every single summit uh, session that came out. Um, And as we were accepting each of the sessions, we were starting to realize a pattern that we got to the point where there were so many security related sessions that we made an entire dedicated track just for security and this whole, this whole theme of, of the government lunch today is all about security as well but I got a quick poll question for everybody um, how many people know about this book? how many people have brought their copy with them today? okay photo op everybody bring your book out we're gonna take a quick picture um, so one of the things that is really important um, so I actually I read this book on vacation <laughs> And um, which that tells me the, tells you what kind of person I am, but the interesting thing about this book is that um, it re- really does describe how we do things at red hat like i 'm sitting on the airplane and i 'm elbowing my wife, and i 'm pointing at the book i 'm saying, "This is what we do. this is how I do this, and this is what we do with, the, with folks in the community. so it was really exciting. so I think Sally was going to take a, a quick picture, so can we we 're going to tweet the 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 picture out. If you don't mind, please indulge me. Oh, this is awesome. And so when we were planning for this, we got, you know, so Michael and Paul and Allison and I and, and Gunner, we were on the phone talking about this. You know, we were saying, that we really want to put this, a copy of this book in your hands. Michael was insisting that, you know, we got to get the paper copy, we got to put it in your hands, you got to read this if you haven't read it on, on the flight home. Um, it is a really good book. And one of the things that I was thinking about was that it's like, as I was going through this, well, how can public sector take advantage of this? Is it, you know, because do you often have the freedom uh, to be able to do the things in public sector that you do ordinarily in the, in the, in the uh, commercial world uh, or in the open source community. And one of the things that, that, you know, it's like, well, can you or can't you? And I was thinking, well, what are some good examples? And one of those great ex- examples is the stuff that, that uh, we've been doing with Jeff Blank and, and others in, in, the, in the government and uh, in, in the open source community with a lot of the work that we've been doing. And that's what we wanted to talk about today. So I want to introduce Jeff Blank, who's uh, with the uh, Information Assurance Directorate at, at NSA. So... Welcome, Jeff. Oh, thanks, Dave. So, so tell us, introduce yourself. Tell us all about what, what you do, who you are. Oh, sure. So I'm tech director for an office that does um, security
1: analysis of operating systems and applications, um, and that's an office within our information assurance directorate, uh, which is responsible for NSA's defensive mission, uh, which, of course, is not the NSA mission in, in the news these days. Um, and so, but uh, NSA does have serious responsibilities uh, for protecting uh, critical national security systems, and, and that's um, IAD's responsibility.
0: Nice. Nice. Oh. So one of the things that, when you and I first met, it was in Raleigh, yep. uh, in the old building in, on the NC State campus, and we were talking about this whole ESCAP thing. And it was new to me, and, I, and it was like, okay, well, what is this whole ESCAP thing? And, and it, was, it wasn't it was just like a bunch of govies in the room. It was it was a whole group of different people from industry, and, and we got together. So why why, you want to tell that story a little sure, bit? Sure, sure.
1: So there, there's a lot of history there. Um, and... SCAP today is maintained as a list of specifications uh, that are published by NIST so that everyone can get to them and, and see what they are and try to implement around them. Um, but the basic idea is that uh, you have security information uh, about about computer systems, and you need some sort of... Uh, uh, standardized way uh, to express that information such that it could be shared or reported up within the organization uh, so that the organization can have some sense as to its overall security posture um, and in that way it can be interoperable uh, between different uh, between tools from different vendors too and so um, SCAP, uh like Michael mentioned earlier it provides a way for uh, the computer systems themselves to uh, to, to determine what their current status is with regard to uh, security compliance and then provide that in a, a structured format.
0: Yeah, so that that's SCAP, and, and so that is basically the, the, I guess, an XML document that you come up with yeah. that describes your security policy um, where I know, uh, and, and you need a tool to be able to read it, which is OpenSCAP, and, and we have that baked into uh, RHEL, and, and we we went through the NIST certification for that, so that's pretty cool. Um, The other thing, though, is that you need to develop SCAP content. And and in the past, I remember, oh, well, we, you know, DISA does their things their way. Oh, well, we we got NIST doing things their way. You have people in industry doing things their way. Even integrators doing different things for lockdown. And to me, it was it was driving me crazy as far as like, well, okay, whose password policy is the best?
1: Oh, sure, sure, right? yes, and, sure.
0: and so, how, how did how did you you know you, we got everybody together in a room and we talked about this?
1: Yeah, right? so it was actually yeah, like you said, uh, many years ago. I think the first commit was in 2011, um, but we, we looked at the space and saw just a lot of chaos, a lot of different organizations uh, producing um, you know different security baselines uh, for Red Hat yeah. um, and you know the the thing that should occur naturally is, well, why don't you maybe talk to Red Hat and see what, what they'd like to see? Presumably, they'd like to see one high-quality source uh, of, of uh, configuration guidance that's customizable and flexible for individual customers. And so that was you know, sort of the, uh, the logical outcome. There was to start um, SCAP Security Guide. Um, that was in 2011. And really, that was also building on um, a work that started in 2008... Um, for, for OpenSCAP itself, which provides the execution capability um, against the actual uh, hardening guidance. Uh, so, so, yeah, so since, I guess, 2011, SCAP Security Guide has had something like 3,600 commits from all sorts of different organizations, and it provides a flexible catalog um, for, for hardening guidance.
0: Okay. And a quick time check. Uh, I know the session start at 1.20, so to set expectations and so people don't feel like they have to bail out early, I uh, want to wrap up about 1.10, so just to let you guys know... Uh, so the whole thing there, I, I know one of the other things that I ran into whenever, uh, as as a Red Hat person, I would have people from the government come to me that they would say, oh, well, give me your lockdown guidance. And, and, I, they would, and they were really happy to take the guidance from me, but they would never give it back. So I would rarely get guidance to give to other people. And so the, the, I think one of the stigmas that we ran into was, Overcoming that that fear of oh, I can't contribute. I'm I'm an integrator, or I'm a government employee." So, how how did you create that culture of sharing? To you know, so it, it's not just you. It's not just Red Hat. It's you know, it's not just DISA. Like you said, there, there are all these agencies that are contributing. How did you build that culture?
1: Oh, sure. And so, and I certainly won't claim it's a solved problem, uh, yeah. since we, we still get you know private contributions and, and requests. Could you please commit this? You know, not not identify me and that sort of thing. Um, but uh, even um, you know, at our, at our own agency, there, there's still like a, a lot of work that has to be done with regard to legal and policy um, to to get permission to do this sort of thing. So I think that was a start, and um, and us you know us being involved openly, I think helped a lot too. Uh, in that regard. Um, and so um, I think it's just constant encouragement uh, to try to be more open, uh, and, and that you're we're working with a partner, uh, the vendor, in fact, that prefers to do everything in an open source way, so that helps, too.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I, I think, too, that by doing that model of, of having it open source, that uh, like, in the past, you know, people would be, like, you get the security professionals that come up with some what they think is, like, awesome security policy, but in you know the end user world they 're wondering what were they thinking? How can I use this in production? This is too hard to use or too restrictive and by using the open source model, you get people that are in the end user community contributing and giving you ideas back, whether or not it 's you know SCAP content or at least just putting things in the suggestion box mm-hmm. and then that ends up making the uh, the policy a lot more, uh, a lot stronger, a lot more usable, and it also makes your, your project a lot more successful.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the things, uh, at least personally one of the motivators for this is uh, having reviewed other baselines in the past and just found any number of mistakes. I'm sure everyone has seen this. I won't even claim that uh, s Security Guide is perfect in every way, but I, I will claim that uh, people are available if you, if you find mistakes uh, to, to yell at um, and in an open forum. Um, so, like I said, one of, one of the motivations was to be able uh, to be agile, like, when mistakes are made, they can get patched uh, quickly um, and, and, and track with the product. Yep. Right? For example, uh, many security baselines don't track with you know, the newest version of the product. And it's yep. designed also to address that problem and make sure that people can get um, compliance uh, help for the latest technology. Nice.
0: Yeah, and I know um, one of the other things. So for those of you that missed the SCAP session that that Jeff and Sean and a bunch of others were in earlier, which was an awesome session, and it was video recorded. So you'll probably see it up on uh, YouTube or or on our customer portal. Highly recommend you guys check it out because Sean did some great demos, and there was a lot of great dialogue. But what was interesting, there was uh, one lady in the audience. You know, she was, and this, this goes to the last thing we were talking about, Um, She was like, well, hey, this is really cool for, like, one machine, but what about if I have a ton of machines and I'm trying to prove back to an auditor that I'm secure and everything? How can I do that? How can I do this at scale? And one of the things that, that, uh, you know, Sean mentioned is that, look, in, uh, in satellite, Red Hat satellite, um, we have that capability where we're adding in the SCAP integration into that, and and just you know words of advice. There's a session that is going on later on today. Uh, is that right, Sean? That is that uh, that we'll talk about SCAP inside of uh, in, inside a satellite. So I really encourage you guys to check that out because I think one of the big things is that. In the past, well, you know I, I would joke with people is that you, your security policy lived in a three ring binder and you you would pull that down and you would go through and you would lock down all your systems but nowadays when you 're looking at um, uh, virtual machines cloud machines that are that are Super well, like uh, uh, transient and and just you know you blow them away you stand them up all the time you don't have time to pull down the uh, uh, the three ring binder and go through your policy and lock it down um, and even with containers it's the, it's even worse whenever you're dynamically bursting out and you're creating a whole lot of containers and you're spinning them down um, so using those tools like SCap will really help you with with the automation
1: yeah oh, absolutely and, and uh like we saw in the last session, uh, OpenSCAP and Anaconda integration was yeah. a, 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 oh, great, yeah. a great way to just make sure that when the system's built, it's it's already, uh, you know, securely configured from the get-go.
0: Yeah. Are, are you guys familiar with that? You guys know what Anaconda is? Yeah. So, like, when you go through the installer, you know, next, 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 it lays down the operating system. One of the... We, we've added uh, an add-on. Uh, we're targeting for 7.2. 7.2. Yeah. That... Uh, Rel 7.2. That... Um, on the way out, you can actually apply your preferred lockdown policy of, of uh, you know, oh, the DISASTIG or, or whatever, the SCAP security guide. And so whenever the system is provisioned, it will be automatically uh, locked down according to your policy. So it, it removes that extra step. So it really increases the ability for you to do automation and get systems into production a lot faster. Yeah. So before we move to common criteria, anything else we wanted to hit on? Any, any factoids? Uh, we, we threw out a number of agencies' success criteria. How do you guys measure success?
1: Um, I, well, I think uh, f- from the last session, really just simply the show of hands for people actually using it yes. uh, was, was a, a great, yeah, deeply gratifying with, to know that uh, it's being used by lots of people. Um, and... Um, I guess in a larger sense, uh, you know, when, when federal government agencies have to do physical reporting, um, SCAP is going to be a big, a big part of that. And as you see, uh, you know, in, in our collaboration with other agencies like uh, DHS and NIST and, and DISA, um, that it's just going to be uh, more and more important to be able to do this in an automated fashion. Yeah. So you'll start to see this more and more in policy. Yeah.
0: yeah. And one, one other thing I noticed from that last session, uh, for those that missed it, uh, our, our friends from Lockheed were up. And, and they were talking about um, how they were they were using it as well, and they learned about this project from being at the summit, and which was pretty cool, right? And then they came up and they they, they talked, I, I guess, Sean and, and those guys about how how they could use it too. And again, this is one of these things that um, whenever you know, if you if you saw Jim's keynote uh, early on you know, this is just not us talking at you for a whole week. We want to hear your feedback and we want to take that feedback to engineering. So make sure that, you know, you're talking to guys like Sean, to me and, you know, and, and a part of the broader community too to make sure that we can amplify your voice in the open source community and turn those uh, uh, requests that you have into actual supportable products and, and things that really are, are tailored for your needs. Um, So let's shift shift gears a little bit. Let's let's talk a little bit about Common Criteria, because you're you're involved heavily with that as well. Sure,
1: yes. That's actually where we've been investing a great deal of effort over the last two years, and that's revamping Common Criteria Evaluation uh, in the U.S. That's run by NIAP, which is a a program office at NSA, and the test labs are accredited by NIST. And um, so historically, Common Criteria uh, took a very long time and cost a gigantic amount of money. Um, and then there are still some examples uh, in some technology areas where that's occurring, um, but uh, next month, um, we've been working on it since March, actually, with the technical community. Uh, we'll really be releasing a new uh, protection profile for operating systems uh, that we think should be able to be evaluated against in uh, 90 to 180 days, um, and I think you can compare that with previous efforts. Um, yes. Even in Red Hat in particular has always been a great supporter of common country evaluation, and there's been a good business case uh, yep. because it's recognized um, in, in many different nations, right, um, but but still, even even with that recognition, um, uh, the certification itself taking uh, one to two years uh, meant that people couldn't use newer technology, and it was acting as a barrier uh, instead of a supporter uh, of, of you know better security in many ways. So. Um, so I think that's going to be a big deal in the OS space and and, uh, and we already have a, a new new style protection profile for server virtualization out too um, but one of the things that w- uh, we're going to be driving here uh, in CC evaluation is providing a list of uh, say uh, system security controls along with the, the CC evaluation uh, because CNA processes these days um, hardening is one part of that but but um, administrators and, and CNA personnel are also asked to look through, like, long lists of, of security controls, and so many of those uh, you simply can know are, sat- are simply satisfied by particular products, and we think CC is the way uh, to provide assurance that those have been evaluated and that they exist in particular products, so uh, NIAC will be providing lists of, uh, say, uh, mappings to, to NIST 800-53 controls for folks who have to do that in their in their compliance space.
0: Yeah, and um, I know, too, like, that the shortening, the like, I mean, Ever since, like, RAL 70 came out, I guess, okay, when's a common criteria certified? And it's yeah. like, it's in evaluation, which was pretty cool because we had it in evaluation from the get-go, which was pretty awesome. But it's still, it, using the old methodologies, okay. it takes a long time. And that is, uh, you know, it's okay for products that are supported for 10 years because you know you get it certified and you, you still have some runway to use that product for a period of time. Uh, but for a lot of the emerging technologies, like you said, that mainly have like a three-year life cycle, um, for, us, for it to take two years to get it certified and then for somebody to get it into production, it's just not feasible. So I, I, I applaud you guys for uh, realizing to help us lower the cost and shorten the time to do those certifications. That's, that's really important.
1: Yeah, and, I, and we have proven we can do this. It's not just empty promises, I assure you. Um, for example, you can see uh, mobile devices and network devices. Yeah. Um, uh, NIAP already has protection profiles in those technology areas, and uh, there are very well-populated approved products lists.
0: Yes. So, yeah, and that's, yeah, and like you start thinking about mobile devices, uh, think of the lifespan of your cell phone and how often they come out and, and they have to be revamped. So that, that sh- having that short time you you can't do that using the old way, right? Um, so how are, are are you guys using open source principles to develop Common Criteria? Oh, sure, policy? yeah,
1: great great question. Um, so the protection profiles themselves, which are the you know the body of uh, functionality and assurance requirements, uh, we're developing a lot of the new ones on GitHub yeah. uh, itself. So on githubcom criteria. and so the you know the GitHub itself makes it easy for um, multiple contributors to a complicated document uh, to simultaneously make progress in those. And I'd say that's probably. Uh, decreased our time to produce uh, protection profiles by thirty to forty wow. percent versus maybe just one static document that would have to get emailed around and everyone would work on their sections <laughs> in a sort of uncoordinated fashion. Yeah, We're using uh, the ticketing yeah. system and everything else, so uh, so you know so the tools developed for open source uh, make collaboration for us easier too.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and uh, Sean pointed to me that you could render it in OpenShift.
1: Oh yes, actually, that is actually true. <laughs> so, yeah.
0: So, that's and that's, that's,
1: cool. so the, the working drafts yeah. uh, we just render on OpenShift, yeah.
0: Yeah. So that's that's pretty cool. Um, yeah. So what what look into the future with with Common Criteria? Where do you see where do you see that going and beyond what, what we discussed today?
1: Um, sure. Oh, so we uh, like I said, we are linking that to a production of a hardened baselines. So that'll be an output of the evaluation itself, something like. If, if not the Dysysdig, something very much like the Dysysdig would be uh, an output of common criteria evaluation. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also we're trying to drive... Um, uh- Let's see, SCAP itself forward um, by uh, having uh, software identification tags or SWID tags. It's an ISO standard, 19770. Uh, um, we're trying to have that supplant. We're trying to have that, but th- th- that does mean something, sure. right? Because it means industry's talked about it for a while and gotten a formal document and formally defined it, right? So there's a reference document that tells in- an industry at large uh, what it is you should do if- when you want to support this. So we're very keen on software identification tags. Um, and for that to succeed, uh, CPE, which was uh, sort of in the SCAP. Fan- family of of specifications. So CPE should be getting uh, replaced with with SWID tags. And software identification and uh, software asset management is uh, kind of important these days. Uh, Over the last year, if you can look at some of the horrifying bugs uh, that have come out. Um, And so an enterprise uh, generally shouldn't have to run around to so many different sources trying to identify where all the software is. Uh, This is a means of um, identifying with uh, one specific identifier uh, the the. Particular piece of software, and then knowing that it's in fact out of date and needs to be patched. And there's also a business case, of course, for software license management and that that kind of thing, and and tracking software usage, even in an open source environment, will be good. Yeah,
0: yeah. And I I know we're running short on time, but let's take a step back and and let's let's look at private industry and peer into the future. Um, Like I know, like whenever I, you know, the the stereotype government, you know, it's like oh, they're the laggards compared to industry because they're way they're way ahead of everything. I don't think that's the case, especially when it comes to security. Um, like, if you look at all the breaches that have happened over the past year in the private sector, and I talk to a lot of my, my colleagues in, in the private sector that, that you know, their customers are like, oh, my gosh. Uh, at first, they were like, oh, that SC Linux, that's the thing I turn off to. Now it's like, <laughs> crap, I got hacked. Uh, what's this SC Linux thing? Let's talk a little bit more about it and, and how to turn it on. So how are, how are, you know, looking into the future, how do you see, you know, commercial industry getting more involved in, you know, having a, a public-private partnership?
1: So uh, certainly there are lots of lessons learned in that regard in, in government uh, yeah. over, over the last decade or, or more, um, and I think it really comes down uh, to usability, yeah. right, and uh, SCAP drives up um, usability of, of those sorts of tools, yeah. and so, and I think that means that, um, you know, they, they're then usable by industry who, you know, maybe, um, you know, who's, tends to be more, I guess, uh, careful about cost and measuring cost-benefit analysis and that sort of thing, yes. right? So I, I think that, um, and indeed we realize that in, in, in government even, uh, baselines that are uh, simpler and more to the point tend to be more effective and more widely accepted. Yep. Uh, and so all, I think all those things sort of can work together.
0: Okay. Well, okay, so I got one very hard question for Jeff, and um, I'm going to ask him that, then I'm going to have a call to action for you guys to give him time to answer it. Um, so Jeff, if, if people were going to tweet one thing you said today, sure. what would it be? Think about that. Okay. Um, okay. So while, while he thinks about that, usually it's like if I don't give them enough time I get this deer in the headlights look and, and they don't know, you know they're on the spot. But two calls to action for you guys. Uh, one is, well first I want to thank you guys for coming here. Um, there are some cards that were put on your table. Make sure you guys check them out we got a couple things that are coming up. Uh, we want to make sure that the, the summit isn't just the only annual event that you guys go to. Uh, we want to have this rolling thunder of events that are going on for you guys. So uh, things like the, the, the government symposium, um, that's coming later on this year. And the same thing, there's defense in depth. So you could almost think of it as like the greatest hits of the summit for security talks. Um, we're we're going to be bringing in guys like Dan Walsh, uh, Steve Grubb. Sean Wells, you know, we're going to have uh, plenty of, of, of Red Hat and industry folks coming in to, uh, to visit and, and, and give presentations. So make sure you guys keep an eye out for that. And I, I hope to see you guys there. I'll, I'll be at both of those events myself. Um, so with that, back to my question. If people were going to tweet one thing you said today, what, what would that be?
1: Oh, sure. Uh, security compliance activities need to support the use of new technology, not hinder it. Nice.
0: Okay. Well, thanks, Jeff, and I want to thank everybody here and enjoy the summit.